0: Welcome back to Inside Asia. This week, I'm with Said and Akshita Kauri, two extraordinary people who speak to a broader trend that could prove good for the world, but bad for corporates. What do I mean by that? Well, stay tuned. This is a conversation you won't want to miss. First, a nod to our sponsor, Quilt AI, a mission-first technology company that helps large organizations use the internet more purposefully. It's looking to reverse fractures in society and generate empathy while helping organizations understand their consumers and beneficiaries much better. They give time and money to causes they care about and in service to people and planet. Inside Asia is pleased to be associated with Quilt AI. For more information, do check them out at quilt.ai. Now here's my conversation with Zaid and Akshita. All right, I've been looking forward to this conversation. For a number of reasons. One, because I think you're exceptional people, but also because um, you represent to me uh, a challenge that's going to be faced by many corporations and organizations that are looking for great talent. And I'm catching you on your way out of Singapore after being here for a period of time. So two weeks from now, you'll be off on your next adventure. Everyone's probably wondering, who am I talking to and what is this about? But I'd like you first to introduce yourselves, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Absolutely. Uh, my name is Akshita Joshi Corey. I was born and raised in India, and um, I've been in the. I was in the corporate sector for over a decade before I made a switch to coaching. And um, during this time, I worked for various companies. I was at Facebook for a while, at Airbnb, at Bain and Company, at Grab, in a variety of different roles. So I've done everything from strategy to product marketing. And um, I've been a coach for over a year now, and I focus on helping people get to know themselves and then improving their relationships with others, be it in work or in life. And um, yeah, that's me.
2: Say it a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I am American of Lebanese-Palestinian descent. Uh, I've been in the region in Asia for 15 years in various roles and various types of companies, startups, large companies, construction, e-commerce, and I had been in that space, and about a year ago, uh, with the help of my wife and a bit of a push, I found coaching. And that's sort of where my uh, North Star has been in terms of my purpose and in terms of the work I do. And the work we do together, in addition to like interpersonal dynamics and, um, I guess, self-discovery, is also a lot around um, helping people think through uh or startup founders that think about how they can work together more effectively. So that's sort of our new niche and new focus in the short term. Combined, you're both half my
0: age, <laughs> and yet you have twice a lifetime experience that I have, which is just shocking and amazing. Um, you are, uh, you have the creds, you have worked with amazing companies, you have vast experience, yet you both decided to step off, to step out of corporate. Um, Akshita, why, what happened?
1: I'll start by saying, you are aging yourself, Steve. Combined, we are not your age.
0: (laughs) Maybe it's how I feel.
1: So, why step out of corporate? I felt as though I wasn't learning enough and I wasn't making um, decisions to the extent that I would have wanted to at this age, um, with the amount of experience and knowledge I've gained. And what I mean by that is um, companies, once they reach a certain size, are very risk-averse. And you feel like the work actually gets distributed significantly amongst people, and you're maybe doing one hundredth of what you really could be doing. Um, when I reflected on when I felt the most challenged in my work life, it was when I was at Facebook as a 23-year-old managing the largest clients in India, and you know contributing contributing to a pretty big uh, sales quota, launching products. And then I looked to the last 10 years, and I think the the bigger the title, the less I've been doing, um, and the less purposeful I've been feeling as a result. Uh, coaching, like learning all of this new stuff figuring out how to build a business, learning new skills has just been exhilarating. You know, there's a lot less money. It's a lot more work. Um, it's also far more stress, but it's good. It's good stress. It, mm. You feel at the end of the day like you built something. So,
0: so it sounds that with all of the um, responsibility and the title and the money and everything that was coming with it, uh, you said something which is um, you felt more and more constrained, uh, more channeled was that limiting something for you intellectually, uh, emotionally, spiritually? Where was it? Why why were you feeling this limitation? Whereas in the traditional path forward, uh, there's this feeling of liberation, of moving up, of expanding, of gaining more power, more influence. What's different? Is this uniquely you? Or do you think that the, the feelings that you're experiencing are shared by others who are of a similar ilk?
1: Yeah, it's a great question definitely something i have seen shared by others especially in this region and the reason i say that is because you have so many multinationals here who have their regional offices and yeah you might get fancy titles in this region but really you're not getting you're not getting to make decisions the decisions are coming from central and that can be very frustrating for people to have all of these sort of um external uh ways of validation but internally you feel like i should be doing more i could be doing more right why is it that i spend 90 percent of my day sending emails that will then go to people who are sending more emails to finally get to a decision maybe a year or two from now whereas i could go off and figure this out by myself in a week versus having to go through all this corporate bureaucracy so i think it's a combination of um, the size of the company, as well as the fact that regional offices aren't given that much authority and decision-making power.
0: This is what corporations has been doing for the longest time, and they always go around, particularly the um, new economy groups, the Googles, the Facebooks, the others, and make a big deal about how they're more distributed leadership, not so much hierarchical, Uh, yet the volume of work and the hours of work seem to only grown instead of being more controlled. To what degree is that balance between work and life one of the reasons why you all decided to step off, said
2: Well, my my reasoning for uh, going into oh, stepping away from corporate is a bit different. Um, if you're if you allow me to go into it, it's uh, it's more like I was a, a square peg being hit into a round hole, and I had all these voices around me, family, friends, telling me this is a path I wanted to go on, and I never questioned it but something didn't sit right. And I, it felt like I had to drag up, no matter what opportunity I went for, either in construction, in a BD role, e-commerce, in a partnership role, I kept putting myself in situations where something didn't quite feel natural. And then, what for me, the big revelation that helped me step away was something um, Ikshita asked me to do, which is, what do I do outside of work? What, like, outside of my you know 50, 60, 70, 60 hours at Lazada, what did I do? And it was pick up phone calls with friends, listen, share space, ask questions, be curious. Even when I went to networking events, where most people would do the five-minute handshake and the meet-and-greet, I would spend 20 minutes with one person, ask them about their family, ask them about their what what drives them. So for me, a lot of what like was a revelation was realizing that the things that drove me were it was were curiosity, and I could have maybe done that in a corporate, but I found that it's harder to do it. There are constraints about how much you can dig deep, ask these deeper questions in organizations. And I think they're not necessarily set up for that. They want to do it, but they're not set up for that. And I think that's something I thought I could do outside of it. And that's why Sheeta and I sort of pivoted to coaching in some ways on our own, because we want to create that impact directly uh, as quickly as possible. And I think there is an opportunity where corporates can really um, help with alignment. like.
0: Is there something about the cultural or the corporate psyche which is shifted, which has a different set of expectations, um, versus um, your expectations as young up-and-coming professionals, um, and the way that you view the world and some of the challenges that you're bound to face? What's different?
1: Yeah, I'm reflecting on that what has changed because you're right there is a movement right mm-hmm. I think we all sense it there's something in the air that's changing I think one is you're seeing purpose come front and center for our organizations and you know startups are doing a great job of this mm-hmm. um, on the other extreme you're seeing success being measured in terms of funding And the crazy amounts of funding that are available out there to a smart person even if they've had no experience building anything Mm -hmm. previously Mm -hmm. and then you're seeing this other movement towards experiences versus material goods where that's becoming an economy you know they say um your currency is ultimately how you measure your happiness and is your currency money is it purpose is it time and perhaps all of these factors coming together where people are starting to see that maybe that currency of money isn't as valuable is also a play so very different aspects some contradictory to one another Mm. and social media and the fact that people are sharing these stories is in some ways inspiring other people to say hey why can't I do this why couldn't I consider this Mm. Um, so I think all of those are playing a role and there's this one other factor of organizations finding a way to create stability in an era that was previously fraught with instability. Entrepreneurship. Also, um, you know, you have these European companies coming to Asia and saying, we'll fund you, come up with a great idea, or you're a smart person, we'll give you a great idea and we'll fund you. And at the end of it, you know, you have nothing to lose.
0: So, so less risk associated with the idea of stepping off, exactly. and therefore people say all things being equal, I have my health, I have my education, I've got my networks.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, why not? Give it a shot. Is that it? I think that's part of it. It even goes beyond that. I think it's encouraged. Like People are optimizing for growth, for s- developing skills, and you can do that in a corporate, but you can do it sometimes faster by building outside of it if you have a purpose you have a a dream of what you want to do people will give you money mitigating risk and um people want to optimize they know that they can create a different life outside the conventional nine to five for 60 years like my parents grew up with doctor lawyer businessman that was it now i think there's more out there there's more options and part of that might also be like you said the internet seeing other people's experiences and seeing that there are more potential options to do work outside the conventional norms.
0: To what degree do you look at my generation, those that are in their late 50s, early 60s, have gone run the corporate gauntlet and say, not me, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. And and I want you to be bold and clear about this because I know, looking at my parents at a certain stage, I said I, I, I won't make the same choices, and I didn't. You know, all, all, albeit they were slightly different, not as dramatically different. I now see your generation coming into it and saying you know, the possibilities are virtually endless because we're in more of a network distributed environment. You know, it's no longer the corporation or your your friend circles or your school circles that give you the network. Now it could be global, you know, by virtue around an interest or a passion or an industry. I mean, literally, you can, you can pick up your phone and connect with anybody anywhere. To what degree does that then give you the feeling That there are there's possibilities out there beyond what perhaps my generation would have experienced
1: so both of us are a little biased because our parents love their jobs Mm. my parents are doctors and professors zade's parents are doctors medical and um a professor and they love their jobs Mm. and so for us what's driving us is purpose we want to love our jobs and we haven't found that until we started to do something that we built ourselves and that's really what's driving us. So to your question, what I don't what I was working towards a few years ago was the FIRE movement, you know, the financially independent retire early. And I would like literally list down, OK, this is where I'm at. Loans are paid off. Houses bought. We'll be there in five years. But then I had this epiphany of I do not want to spend the present counting down the days till that future, and I don't wanna stop working at 40 because my goal was always, hey, let me get to, work, to being able to do work that I enjoy without having to think about how much money am I making off that work. And then I said, hey, what if I could do that now and just lower the needs that I have financially to enjoy the work I do now because I actually wanna keep working till I'm 75. Mm-hmm. So that's the mental pivot.
0: Is that philosophy or that original thinking about retiring at 40 and getting everything out of the way backfiring? Do you have friends or colleagues and others who have attempted that and now looking up 41, 42 and saying, what the hell was I thinking? And is that then influencing the decisions you make?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, The funny thing is people will not put a number down on paper, or if they do, their needs grow with that number so you've heard of hedonic adaptation i assume and that's basically saying that hey the more you have the more you want because you adjust your happiness levels adjust maybe previously you lived in a two bedroom you moved to a four your happiness levels have adjusted to a four bedroom that's what you're going to now expect out of your life right and we've seen that happening and therefore that number of what does it take to retire right how much do i need to make that for in a year and therefore how much do i have to save keeps growing and so these people have golden handcuffs then in their 40s because they've kept adapting to that number, and it keeps increasing.
0: Have the two of you made adjustments to your life and your cost base in order to live the life and run the business that you're running today?
2: Yeah, I think we, we both have. I, what we've started doing is rather than trying to look at revenue, we looked at costs, and we just said, what matters? We decluttered things that didn't matter. We asked what's important. We have our basic needs met. We, every meal we think about is this worth it and it's not that it's because we're trying to be frugal we're just trying to figure out you know how can we live the life we want Without having to always think about what is you know, what's enough to like, you know, go to a nicer restaurant. So I think every meal, every life, we just ask what's important. We have our favorite three restaurants we go to. We have Toby's Estate, which is our <laughs> breakfast place. We have Himonia, which is our sashimi place. We could go to like a more upscale place, but we're very happy with what we have. What we have, and because of that, it gives us autonomy to basically be able to choose the life we want. And you know, as an example, I have a friend talking about golden handcuffs, who's been in the same job for seven years. He's doing a fantastic job. He's managed, made it managing director. Um, and I talked to him yesterday and he was like, you know, I'm not happy in my job and, and there's no further to go in terms of promotions. And, he's, and I was like, what's holding you from moving back to your home country? And he's like, and being close to family and having the career he wants. He's like, well, I want to make the same amount of money, you know, the same amount of money I'm making now. I'm like, is the cost of living the same back home? He's like, no. And 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 I asked him, well, have you? And how much are you saving? Sixty percent of my income. I'm like, maybe think about instead of going from the top top line, your revenue, how much you're making, and think about how much you're spending, and build on that. And he's like, I never thought about it like that. And I'm like, does that give you more options? And he's like, yeah, that changes what what my options are back home. Mm -hmm. And so it's. Thinking about like what's important, how much you're spending and how much do you really need to be happy that really helped optimize for us. And I recommend yeah. other people think and about I it as well. And I add
1: to that because a decision Zaid and I made when we first started dating actually is we talked about lifestyle, like what really matters to us. And so as our income grew, we never changed our lifestyles. We lived the same way. And if our income's fallen because we're building a business, we haven't changed our lifestyles because we never grew it.
0: So that would be unique. Most people basically fall into the trap of, I've got the money, I'll spend it, you know, why not? I'm young, I've got, you know, it, it may not always be possible. I may have kids, I may, you know, buy a big house, and before you know it, you're trapped. But, but these are, seems to me, there's, you walked into this with a certain mindset, and you've maintained it throughout. That was gonna be my next question, is have you all both arrived at this place from the same perspective, or have you come at this decision from different perspectives? Um, it's an interesting choice, and, and if the listeners don't know by now, you are married, and you do work together, yes. and you have set up a business to sell, which, which is why I wanted to interview the two of you together, because these are decisions that tend to need to be made as a couple in some ways, because I've seen a lot of discord occur when one makes this call to say, I want to be a founder, I want to do a startup, and you know, the other uh, member is saying, uh, that corporate job really was quite helpful, I wish you'd hold on. What about the two of you? Um, how did you arrive here and and, and what what strains or issues or concerns did you have as you were preparing to make this decision?
2: You go
1: first. Okay, Um, before he cracks a joke about my liking to buy things. (laughs) 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 So um, what we agreed on early in our relationship is that we're going to keep our finances separate in terms of how we spend on leisure. Zaid likes food. If he wants to go buy a fancy meal, that's on him. I like buying stuff from minted stores. If I want to do that, that's on me. So we kept our finances separate and we still do. Um, However, what we did agree on is, okay, if we're going to build a business, there might be points in time where we need to support one another. And we're okay with that and we're doing that. And we have very open discussions. Um, But the thing is, we had sort of agreed from the start. So there wasn't really a fundamental lifestyle adjustment. And then where we do split costs, uh, and we talked about this upfront as well as healthcare, we'll always take care of each other, housing and food. And then, except for his really fancy, is a Meals once in a while. And then the last piece is education, because education is very important to both of us. And so we said, if one of us wants to get another certification, get a degree, that's something that we'll always split because it's something we want to invest in.
2: Yeah, your thoughts? I think our first date, this came up. Um, I think Akita sat me down on our first date and asked me, you know, I think he sat me down and said, I have a serious question. This date's going really well. I I really wanna sort of see if this is, if this is gonna go somewhere. And so she asked me, so where are you gonna be in two years? <laughs> And I felt sort of like a job interview, but I, you know, I took it in a stride. Because and it was, by the way. It really was. Yeah. But it was really good because it cut through a lot of the stuff, um, you know, a lot of the big issues. And so I said, you know, here's, you know, maybe two years I'll be in Europe with my family, but family's really important to me. So I want to be closer to family. And then she let me throw it back to her. And the second question that came up was, how do you spend money? how do you value money like where do you put what do you value in terms of your spending and so we i told her about this sort of unspoken agreement that it becomes a very spoken very quickly i won't buy you a bag i don't value that i'll buy you i'll buy us experiences as a couple that's what i value mm-hmm. and i am totally fine if you want to buy a bag that's really on you and if i want to go to an expensive meal i'll pay for it because that's on me that's what i value but you know everything we we share, we, let's say experiences, and we share sh- both value, we share the cost. So that really was really powerful, and then over time we, we refined it as we sort of saw how our lives changed because education wasn't something we talked about, but when I wanted to do a data science class, uh, she supported me there, and if she wants to do a PhD, I'll support her there. So we were, we had a baseline expectation of how we're going to share our life together and our finances, but it adapted as situations adapted But we understood fundamentally what we valued and what money was, which was a means to an end um, for the important stuff for us. Uh,
0: The the two of you coach and have
2: made a decision to coach founders.
0: Um, It sounds that your personal experience is highly relevant when it comes to people who are thinking about stepping off or stepping out. Um, tell us a little bit about the experience. Do you Are you able to have these conversations with others, or do some people who are thinking about getting out of corporate and doing this find it difficult, if not impossible, to relinquish all of those types of gains that they got in the corporate world?
1: Yeah, a lot of the people we work with are actually already founders. Mm. and. Um, Honestly, it's a combination of making sure they stick with it because when you're when you're founding something, you decide if you're working or if you're not working that day, right? You don't have deadlines unless it's to an investor. Um, and so a lot of it is getting you to start owning your time, your decisions, and to take those risks that are necessary for you to move forward. So often a lot of what we're doing is helping them unlearn what they learn in the corporate world where there's somebody who you're answering to. And finding um, that sort of um, should find yourself in what you need to get done on a daily basis. So that's one element of it. And then the other element, because our specific focus is um, together we work with co-founders. And what we do there is both of us have um, studied at the Gottman Institute, which is you know world famous for relationship coaching. And so what we've done is combined our knowledge of um, the corporate world and coaching in that domain, along with relationship coaching to coach co-founders on improving their relationship with one another. Mm. Because about 45% of co-founders will split up within the first four years. That's a pretty staggering number. Imagine the number that are splitting up in the first six months, right? Yeah. And imagine the impact that has for the employees of the company, for the investors, for these founders, for their families back home who are also investing their time into these folks building something. Um,
0: are there a lot of founders as couples out there that you've come across? Is it is it a frequent occurrence?
1: So when we say couples, we mean individuals working together. I see. So sometimes, yes, you do have... Um, actually. Funnily enough, we have come across a lot of partners Mm. who are also co-founders, but this is more relationship coaching for anybody who's working together because, I mean, you're spending 70% of your daily time with this individual in all likelihood, right? You want it to be a good relationship.
0: Yeah. You know, um, I, I find it fascinating and a little bit disturbing that the one thing that corporations Tell us, and I'm in this world of executive search and leadership development, working with corporates, is that we want young, smart, self starting, innovative people to come into the corporate fabric and really deliver for us. And yet, more and more are making the decision not to stay within corporate, go out on their own. What are corporations getting wrong and what type of environment can they or should they be creating in order to give people the opportunity to do the things and have the freedoms they have, but also do it under, if you will, a corporate umbrella with all the kinds of resources and platform and, uh, re- and, and, and support that you might otherwise get within a corporation?
1: Yeah, um, so they've tried a few things, right? I mean, most corporates have had some sort of uh, incubator or innovation lab or something like that where they would direct entrepreneurial people. Not much comes out of those. Um, and why is that?
0: I mean, particularly, I mean, you definitely see it with the Googles uh, of the world, for sure. But then even the more the three M's are ones that are known for their R&D and actually have encouraged that type of skunk works programs. Many of them go sideways after a couple of years. Why is that?
1: Honestly, it's the bureaucracy, because what's happening is you've given this team a mandate to go off and build something. But then you have somebody in the C-suite or the level below that, whose responsibility it is to make sure that that team delivers something that makes them look good to mm-hmm. their bosses. Mm-hmm. That probably means that they say, hey, you have six months to come up with something cool. right? If the person says, oh, but the customer wants this, and then you know we go through this messy process of figuring out what's right, that person up top may not have the time to actually make the decisions that are required, to pull in the other resources that are required, usually the people they're equipped with will be told, hey, you have 20% of your time to do this job in addition to your day job. And so at the end of it, what they're optimizing for is not often a product that you take to the customer where you see success. What they're optimizing for is They want to be able to show a fancy presentation to the level above who said, hey, we need to do something with innovation. Mm -hmm. Now, there's gonna be a lot of messiness on the way and I don't think they're ready for that messiness. You take something in the market, it doesn't succeed immediately because you have to take a prototype to get feedback early. You Mm -hmm. are not the customer, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that entire messy process uh, with these rapid feedback loops is not something they are actually comfortable with.
0: I also notice I've recently returned to a large organization after being independent for several years, and I've gone in and out through through my thirty some odd years in Asia. Um, but I noticed that, um, and I had forgotten about this. There's a desire to control resources, to own them all, all outright, and therefore, in that way, you can you can control those costs. You know exactly what they are, but you also wearing them when when revenues are down. You've got to simply you know, and and yet I see so many organizations say, really, what should we should be doing is thinking laterally. Ecosystem approaches, right? Mm-hmm. Where can we partner more effectively? What kind of groups or, or distributors or uh, um, you know contractors could we put in place? What kind of circles of influence can we form in order to make sure that we're more agile in terms of how we deliver on something by thinking outside the organization? What are your observations on that, side?
2: I mean, I, I would agree. I think it would be, the problem is the short-term thinking and the fact that there's fiefdom. So I feel a uh, what I would love to see in that is to, to create that ecosystem is autonomy. So if you have an innovation lab, if they were able to park them and, and give a three-year timeline to experiment fail, um, do iterations, I feel like that would be quite powerful for these corporates being able to really generate innovation. It's that willingness to fail and the fiefdoms, Basically, you have a separate entity that basically can work within the fiefdoms and get resources without a second thought, and where they have one person that can get ownership and, and um, ownership of all these different relationships. So resources can flow naturally. Mm-hmm. I think I'd imagine there's so many layers of bureaucracy and little fiefdoms that... If you, want to, if you have a supplier, if you have, let's say you're trying to work with uh, one of the divisions that has a supplier that'd be useful or a, a, prog- a tech team that's useful, there's so many layers and so much time that's spent trying to get a little bit of those resources that by the time it comes through, then the, uh, you know, you've lost a month or two. And that's not how startups should work or can work. They need, there needs to be quick, quick feedback loops and quick resources, quick failures, quick, quick successes
0: one of the things I've seen is that many entrepreneurs will say it's better an intrapreneur right inside an organization um, has, has always been an option but the upside is limited corporations struggle to say well I can't really give you that upside or that 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 bonus or that arrangement or that share of the company if my other employees don't get that so there's this cultural anomaly that's happening right mm-hmm. there but increasingly and, and we've seen 20 years of startups going out to markets IPOing the the, the unicorns I mean all of this phenom but now there's this shift towards social enterprise impact investing a different breed of entrepreneurs coming into the field because of the concerns about the world people planet Um, and and therefore the motivation may not anymore be money does that create an opportunity for corporations to recast the idea of having an internal kind of startup environment that actually is geared differently it's not just about the money it's about the impact
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, the analogy that came to mind for me is you have a cake with frosting and then all these internal entrepreneurs are your sprinkles. The cake would taste good without the sprinkles, but they make the cake look nice, right? Now- (laughs) I'll
0: never think of it the same way again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But if you can make it a key ingredient for your company to succeed, and to your point, right, the impact space is a wonderful space because most of these entrepreneurs, yeah, you have some who are driven by money and that big upside, Those are the guys who usually want to be bought out. But you have the folks who are like, I want to hit, I want to impact these many people, these many industries. Those folks, to your point, yeah, they would do a wonderful job if the company could actually equip them with an environment where they're not sprinkles, they're essential to the company's bottom line or top line in some way. To Zaid's point Give them a few years, because true innovation takes time, right? It mm. could take many years, especially with the kind of technologies you might be talking about for sustainability, etc. Mm. And if you're go and you need them to have a champion in the main organization, who must at least be giving them fifty percent of their time, because if they don't have that, then this person will not be able to unblock things for them. They will not be able to navigate that corporate structure for them or champion them. So, mm. I think it could work um, for sure. Mm.
0: What,
2: what are you two trying to equip founders with? I think for me, for, for startup founders, I wanna find ways to help them connect more deeply with each other and with the ecosystem they're in so that they can make a difference in the world. So for me, impacting startup founders that are focused on social good, that would be my legacy. Leaving the, better, the world better than I found it by allowing people to connect in startup spaces that do social good in a better way. So, Yeah. Shita?
1: Yeah, look, the work we do ultimately, for us, there are two things we think are most important, is how much you know about yourself and how much you understand yourself and then how you relate with the world. If you know those two, you're going to be better in every meeting you have, in any negotiation you have, with teams that you manage, with creating impact in the world. Mm -hmm. So interpersonal and intrapersonal is where we focus. And even with these founders, that's what we want to do is help them become the best possible version of themselves with themselves and in all their relationships Mm. that's the legacy
0: um this is singapore's loss both of you leaving and and i i think that um you know a country like this which is an entrepot which is really largely dependent on a whole degree and variety of talent and people and perspectives is what's made it so rich and wonderful do you have any concerns about you know that this this um, I think there's a bit of an exodus at this point, and it's not necessarily Singapore's fault. It's just the nature of COVID, small island nation. Everyone's trying to manage as well as possible, but it does feel like there's a moment in time where people are either fleeing or flooding back to their home countries, or going to bigger markets where there's more mobility, or looking for centers of influence that maybe you know are more are better operating environments, particularly if you're doing global work. Any final thoughts and reflections on Singapore, and that you could share?
2: Singapore's been home for seven years and it and it still has a special place in my heart. But I think to talk to your question about how to me what could be the tide of talent leaving um, for whatever reason, I think part of that situation with COVID, people want connection with their families. They want to be in their communities. So I think if there's ways that Singapore can be Um, thoughtful about how to protect the citizenry this in the safety of the people but also still allow that connection where people can go and come in a way that they can still feel connected to home because I think a lot of the exodus is a function of being away from family you know being away for two or three years at a time makes you realize how important it is to be close physically to someone so if they can find a way to make that work with um, both effectively efficiently but also and safely but also uh, Empathetically and with, with, and with somehow more feeling, I think that would really serve the community because people don't want to leave. They feel obligated to leave. And part of that is just being away from the people that matter to them. So mm. that would be really powerful, I think, for Singapore.
1: Yeah, I love Singapore. It's my favorite place that I've ever lived. <laughs> um, I think, you know, what's, what seems to be happening is this: a ton of push for innovation and for venture-backed... Companies. Zeta and I never want to build a venture-backed company. We've been asked many times if we want to take funding, etc., etc. But for us, we want to build a lifestyle business. I remember hearing, I think, somebody from Sequoia say, "Hey, if it's under fifty million dollars of revenue you want to generate, stick to lifestyle. You're better suited for it." And that's what we want. And the thing is, economies like this need lifestyle businesses as much as they need those venture-backed businesses. And I think, if anything, it might be fintech is great and maybe start thinking about what else do you need in this ecosystem to be able to sustain those venture-back mm. businesses as well right yeah yeah
0: well listen i wish you guys luck but i don't need to because you're making your own <laughs> luck uh, you're extraordinary and thank you for all the great gifts that you're giving us and uh we'll be in touch
1: thank you so much steve we're so glad we have met you
2: yeah it was a pleasure thank you so much steve it was so much fun That was my conversation
0: with Zaid and Akshita Kauri, partners and co-founders of Toward Coaching, offering coaching and development for startups and founders. It's been said that the global pandemic has offered us a rare moment of existential reflection. When not battling the disease or avoiding infection, it has allowed time for us to consider what's most important. Young professionals are no exception. Data shows that increasingly, the best and brightest are opting into life and career choices that take them out of the corporate career path and land them in the midst of a gig economy re-energized by a world in crisis. Headlines announcing the Great Resignation, the Big Quit, or Global Burnout suggest that even when times are tough and unemployment is a real possibility, well-educated professionals are voting with their hearts and not their wallets. Leaving behind well-paid jobs in search of something more, but what exactly? Zaid and Akshita shed some light on what might be going on by relating their own stories and those of the founders and other young professionals they coach. Even before COVID set in, questions were being asked about the pros and cons of working for a big organization. There was a time when a corporate job was a golden ticket. It meant a secure paycheck, opportunities for promotion, and wealth creation. A whole generation was lifted to the middle class and beyond on the wings of corporate success and expansion. But in recent years, corporate affiliation has generated some negative connotations. These days, it's more than the paycheck that attracts young talent and keeps them in place. Reputation is important as well. The Enron scandal is one iconic example, but so are some of the biggest brands on Wall Street. Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, and AIG all went down during the global financial crisis and took thousands of high-paid executives with them. Every industry has had an issue of one kind or the other, but the point is this. Young, smart, and ambitious professionals have options, and lots of them. As Akshida points out, the market is flush with money. Venture capital is everywhere and ready to back an entrepreneur with an idea, energy, and the will to succeed. A steady corporate job means a lot less now than it once did, and corporations, according to Zaid and Akshita, aren't adapting to the working styles, of values, and goals of a generation that wants a fair working wage, but also wants to be part of something bigger than steady revenues and a healthy profit margin. It's a shot across the bow of big business. It's global, and it's now. How companies respond by adopting values and goals more aligned with the new generation will determine their ultimate success or their ultimate unwinding. Thanks for joining us here on Inside Asia. And if you haven't checked out our new website, please do. There are over 180 episodes to choose from, all searchable and covering a range of topics from corporate purpose and sustainability to future tech, future economy, geopolitics, and more. Each episode posting is accompanied by our weekly newsletter, so if you prefer reading to listening, now you can do so. Our newsletter includes links to other valuable resources and insights, and references earlier episodes on related topics as well. Over the past four years, we've featured a wide range of regional thought leaders, business heads, and operational insiders. Hear what they have to say by visiting us at www.insideasiapodcast.com. And as always, we thank you for listening.